So we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, which deals with the Christian believer and human institutions, especially governing authorities. So here the scripture, starting in verse 13 of chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as the servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word. Now, uh, I have... One point that I want to get out, and I want you to hear this. This passage says that the way we silence the willful misrepresentation of the truth by foolish people is to do good. That's it. Take that home. That's it. Because I was halfway in the sermon in the last worship service and went, man, I'm not getting this across at all. So, Please take that home, all right? The way you silence the, really the word here means the willful misrepresentation of the truth. It says ignorant people, that's what it means. They willfully misrepresent it is to, the way you silence that willful misrepresentation of the truth purported by foolish people who have no concept of God is to do good. So go out and do good. Amen. That's it. So let me tell you a story as a background. Uh, there, there was once a boy who had a mama named Julia. And Julia Agrippina was married to her husband, and she poisoned him. She had this boy from a previous marriage. She poisoned her husband so she could marry the emperor of Rome, Claudius, who was also her uncle. Seamy story. So she marries the emperor, her uncle, and the emperor has a legitimate son named Britannicus, who is the heir to the throne. But she somehow, I don't know, she, she was a crafty woman. She talked her uncle, emperor, husband, out of giving the throne to Britannicus and said, I've got a son that would be a wonderful emperor. And, he, and, and Claudius said, okay, which anyway, he said, okay. Uh, and so in the ensuing years, she poisoned Britannicus. She poisoned the former wife, Messalina, and she ended up poisoning Claudius, her husband. So her son, her son could become the emperor. So the, so the word in the streets was this. If you go see Julia Agrippina and she offers you a drink, say, no thanks. No thanks. I mean, she was a wicked woman. Her son comes to power. He's 16 or 17. He rules for four, 14 years. And you think with a heritage like that, he would just be a horrible man. Well, the truth is he was a pretty good guy the first six years of his reign. In fact, he was known for a man of justice. He tried to do the right thing. 
Because, and hear, hear this, because he was mentored by a guy named Seneca. And if you studied Roman history, there's a Seneca the Elder or a Seneca the Younger. Uh, Seneca the Younger is the most well-known. This is the Seneca the Younger. He was a famous philosopher. He wrote plays. He was a Stoic. He was respected. He was wealthy. So he, you, got, you got Seneca telling you what to do. You're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and it goes well. But then he got too big for himself, and he dismissed Seneca. And then there was a plot to get rid of him as emperor, and he thought Seneca was implicated when Seneca was not involved at all. But he, he commands Seneca to commit suicide, and Seneca, in a very famous painting, you look it up, he's in a warm tub of water, and he, he slid his wrist, and he bleeds to death. Well, after he kills Seneca, as Seneca commits suicide, he has some of his guardsmen kill his mama. So he's going down the same path. So this Julia, the woman who gives poison to her friends, is put to death. And this guy is named Nero. And two, we think two years after this epistle is written, Nero, who was a builder of magnificent architecture, wanted to build some more buildings in Rome, but there were these little middle-class houses all over the place. And so Nero had some thugs start a fire to burn the homes so he could build his buildings, but he has spread a rumor that the Christians did this Thus began one of the persecutions of the Christian church. This is a bad guy, Nero. Now listen, Nero was the emperor when this letter was written and read in the local churches of Asia Minor. And I, I can, you're sitting there and you're hearing, you're hearing the letter read and you get to this part and you go, whoa, 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 time out. Doesn't Peter realize who the emperor is? It's Nero. The man who killed his mama, the man who told his mentor, a gallant, brave man named Seneca, to commit suicide. He wants us to say that this man has been put in authority by God? Are you kidding me? The answer is yes. So, 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 so I want you to feel the impact of this. It's unbelievable. So I'm going to give you some principles from this text and hopefully end up better than did last week, last, last hour. So one of the themes of this book is do good. Just, just, just do good. Chapter 2, verse 20 says this. He says, but if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But, but do good. Just, just do good. Chapter 3, verse 11. If you want to see long life and good days, let him turn away from evil and do good. Chapter 4, verse 10, talks about using our gifts in a good way. It says this, as each has received a special gift from God, employed in serving one another as good stewards. Be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Just do good. And so one of the themes is just do good. So let me give you some principles from the text. Number one, we submit to human authorities, human institutions, for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be the, the, the emperor or the governor, because they're, to, they're there to reward good behavior and to punish evil behavior. Now, um, 
for the Lord's sake. I came away. If I am going to honor the Lord and acknowledge his kingly rule in my life, if I'm to embrace, embrace dignity, then I must, I must submit to those in authority as long as they don't go beyond their God-given sphere. That's number two. Number two, their guardrails. The guardrails are this. We obey human authority as long as they don't ask us to go against the clear teaching of the Bible. We always go to Acts chapter 5, for example, where Peter says, whether it is right not to preach in his name, I don't know, but I must obey God and not man. So if there comes a point, a human authority says, do this, which is clearly in Scripture, we say, we can't do it. I said last week, and let me say it again, that totalitarians, whether this is this is Mr. Xi in China right now, right now in China. Whether it's Mr. Xi in China or, or Joseph Stalin or Hitler or Mao Zedong, totalitarians hate Christians because you can't control Christians. See, totalitarians means that the state is total. The state is the arbiter of all truth. And we say that God has given us government, God gives us nations, and we thank God for that. But our Ultimate authority is to Christ and His Word. So you, you, you can't control Christians if you go against the Scripture. And, and so we believe there are the human institutions are given to God for our flourishing as long as they do stay within their God-given sphere of authority. Now, I've always been, for years, have been a little bit taken aback by question 124 in the larger catechism, which deals with this. It's in the worship guide. It deals with honor your father and your mother, fifth commandment. And the question is this, who, what is meant by father and mother? Listen to the answer. By father and mother, the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, especially such as by God's ordinances are over us in the place of authority, whether in a family or a church or in the government or the commonwealth. In other words, honor your father and your mother deals with the home, the church, and, and the government. So, so we have a lot of young people here. A lot of them come from homes that are very difficult. But, but I, you are to respect and pray for your parents and to honor them. And unless they ask you to do something that is unbiblical, you should be obedient. And listen, Cleaning your room is not an unbiblical standard, okay? Just to be very clear there. But if they ask you to do something that goes beyond Scripture, you say, I must obey God and not man. I'll give you a silly example. Have your student, you go home uh, for Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving Friday, your mom and dad get up and say, you know, we're low on Christmas funds, so as a family, we're going to rob a local bank today. Just a fun family activity. And you say, uh, I love you, mom and dad, but the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. That's a silly example. But, but I mean, go beyond Scripture, you can't do it. I would, see, chapter 2, verse 11 says, Paul, Peter says, I, I, Beloved, I, I, I urge you, I plead with you as elect exiles, aliens and exiles, to abstain from the passion of the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. That when, when you give in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, these things wage war against your welfare. Don't go there. I look at this passage, and I would say with almost the same passion, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not 
fall prey to the caustic, incredibly uh, accusatory atmosphere that you and I live in. If I could get in the time machine, well, that's not true. I don't want to give my life away, but I wish I could just go to November the 10th, 2020 like that and get this general election behind us. It's going to get uglier and uglier, and it breaks my heart. Do not fall prey to the caustic environment. We are to pray for those in authority. We are to, 1 Timothy 2, pray that we could worship in peace and harmony. And, 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 and we should respect their authority as long as they don't go outside of clear biblical norms of what they ask us to do. We live in a caustic age. Do not let that seep into your spirit in the way you respond to authority. There's a recent book. This is a very good book. It talks about how we are at a low point in the history of our country in respecting any authority. Any authority. I mean, formerly the pastors were held in high regard. Now we've got all this stuff about abuse and the thing in the Catholic Church and the movie Spotlight and so forth and so on. And I mean, people in authority are held at a very low level. That's our culture. Don't let it get in your spirit. God has instituted these things for our welfare. And, and, and this is heightened by our technology that, that alerts us to every situation that we must give our attention to. And 99.8% of it is not necessary. So point two, we should, we should understand that human institutions are given by God. There are guardrails. Number three, authority, this passage says, is to punish evil and to reward good behavior. Romans 13, verse 1, strong statement through verse 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, even Nero. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. From the Lord. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad conduct. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good. Do good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he, he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It's very clear. It's very clear. Uh, and so, so authority is to punish evil and reward the good. Uh, I know that no government is perfect, and I've experienced uh, the downside of this. Two years ago, within six months, I got two speeding tickets. First time I've gotten a ticket since I was a sophomore at the Citadel. That was a long time ago. Two, two times in six months. And, and, and both times I was, I was guilty. I was speeding. But the officer stopped me and came around. And I really thought he would check my record and say, Mr. Brown, we just want to thank you. For the <laughs> Department of Motor Vehicles of South Carolina that, that, you, that you haven't got a ticket since you were 20 years old, sir. So we, we want to give you a coupon to this restaurant. And don't, just watch your speed. He didn't do that. Both times he gave me a ticket. And I thought, you know, I thought, these guys need to read the Bible more often. 
You need a reward. I stopped at every stop sign for the last five miles. And you got me for speed. Come, come on, guys. That's the way it works, though. They reward uh, good behavior, and they punish evil behavior. Fourthly, here's the key to the text. Here's what I want you to take home. To silence the willfully misrepresenting attitude of the truth crowd who has no concept of the reality of God, to silence or muzzle them, we do good. We just do good. Now, years ago, there was a term that some of us were exposed to. I haven't heard it in years. It's called, he's a do-gooder. He's a do-gooder. And a do-gooder is someone who's well-meaning but unrealistic. He thinks he's going to change this. He doesn't understand the system is broken. And so so you step in the line and say, but I, I am a realist. Listen, church, don't be a realist. Be a biblicist. Love the Scripture. See, we, we know something that people out there don't know, and that's Jesus says in Matthew and in Mark, whoever gives a cup of cold water to someone else in the name of Jesus does not lose their reward. It's amazing. A cup of cold water. And it's not bottled water. You don't have to buy it. It's a cup of cold water. If we just go out and, and, and we do good. There's a guy named Michael Card who's a Christian artist in music and also has written some books, but he just is going to release a book um, about the Hebrew word hesed, hesed, which is translated loving kindness in English. God is loving, he's kind. He's kind and he's loving. It's used 250 times in the Old Testament, 252 times. And Michael Card wrote a whole book on this, and he said, you know, just as he's, as he's writing about this, he's thinking, I, I, knew, I need to be filled with loving kindness towards people. And so he said, this is what I've, I've been doing. He says, I have a routine. I go to the grocery store every day. I'm like a European. I just go and buy stuff every day and for supper. And, and so I'll go to this local grocery store, and invariably in the morning there are elderly women who are there. And so I see them go to their car, and I kind of stay in the background not to, not, not to alert them or surprise them. But as they're unloading their, 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 their stuff and they got this cart, I walk up and say, excuse me, ma'am, can I return your cart to the store so you don't have to mess with it? And he said, the women are blown away. It says, twice elderly women have wept saying, thank you for your kindness. Really? That's it. Just, just do good. Just, just be people who do good. Friday, I'm home. I've got, uh, I'm in the yard late in the day. I've gotten home. And there, I have my two-year-old grandson there. Just delightful. And, and uh Next door, the next door neighbor's granddaughter is having a birthday. She's over there for the birthday celebration. She's very athletic. She just turned 11. And so she comes over and she's plays with the two-year-old grandson, goes back and comes back. And one time as she came over to play with him, she did a perfect cartwheel and just kind of nailed it. You know, nailed it. I'm, I'm not a gymnast, but it looked very impressive. And she did that and grinned real big at the two-year-old, my two-year-old grandson. He looked up at her. A couple of seconds, and then he just bent over and fell on his head. <laughs> and he, he wallowed, he wallowed around, and then stood up and thought, not the same as this. You know, not the same. But you know what? It cheered my heart. And I thought that's that's kind of the way we do with the Father. There, there are some people who are out there and, and they can just do boom, 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 and that's the area of giftedness, and they're doing it. But if we just kind of do good in a minimal way and even fall on our head, God sees our heart. And it pleases him. And so I just say, 
church, do good. Just, just do good. Be kind. And then you say, well, how, how do we do good? The text answers the question. Verse 17 uh, it says this. It says, when it comes to doing good, remember this paradigm. He says, honor all men, everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Great text. Somebody was talking about this text somebody this week and said, that'd be a great bumper sticker. So honor all men. So we, we, if you're a believer and you take the scripture as your guide, we believe that all men and women and boys and girls are made in the image of God. Therefore, every man and woman and boy and girl deserves respect and Christian love. That's where we began. So there, there are no throwaway people. There's no throwaway ethnicity. There's no throwaway socioeconomic class. All people. So, so we honor everyone, which means we respect and then it says, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Got that. Which means to cherish. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So I'm thinking about, well, okay, I understand the starting point. We respect all people. See, we respect all people. We do not play favorites when we show kindness to people. Just be honest. We, 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 we respect all people. Give you an example. Um, you go to the local grocery store. You get in the 10 items or less lane, and you've counted your items, and you have nine, unless you count the six bananas in one bunch, and you have 15. But you're going to just give yourself grace and say, that's one item. And so you're waiting there, and you're kind of in a hurry, and you don't want to hang out in a grocery store anymore than you have to, and you're getting ready to go forward, and a, a little lady comes, a little old lady with a cane and a bag of coffee. And what do you do? One item. Well, I hope you say, please, ma'am, go ahead. She said, oh, thank you. She's gone. Or you're sitting there, and a young mama comes up. The baby's young, newborn here, three-year-old in the seat, the thing. She's got a gallon of milk, and the baby's starting to cry. I mean, the two-year-old's starting to cry. And so what do you say? Here's a, a mother. God bless her, these children. You say, please, please go for it. Or you're standing there, stop. I was, the, I was at Isle of Palms County Park a couple of months ago on the beach with kids everywhere, school's still out. And a guy walks down the beach with profanity on his shirt. I'm going, what, what, what are you doing? I didn't say anything to him because he was a whole lot bigger than I was. But I, he had profanity on his shirt. And I just went, so you're, but you're standing there and this same guy, same shirt, profanity. He's got one item, and he's got a baseball hat on, hat on that says, death to America. And, and what do you do? Back the line, pal. <laughs> and you get out every item, and you say, make sure that's scan every item. Now, you may, I'm not saying you overcharged here. No, 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 no. You say, go ahead. And he buys his kabucha juice, and he leaves. See? <laughs> What I'm saying is we are not respecters of, of people. I'm, I'm, and just, I struggle with that. i got to be honest. My immediate response would be, hey, man, get in the back of the line. Get in the back. That's not the Jesus response. So I, I just say to you, I say to me, 
do good. So, so number one is respect all people. We love the brothers. But then he uses the same word for honor all men, honor the emperor. And what he's saying is the emperor is not divine. The emperor is a man. He's, he's, there's nothing special about the emperor. He puts on his pants one leg at a time. He's a normal guy. But you still honor him. And so you look at this passage, and I go, okay, honor all men, love the brothers, honor the emperor. This little clause, fear God, seems to be out of place. I said, what's that? Here, here's, here's what I think. It, I've thought about this for a long time. Fear God, I believe in this context, means if you, it, it is hard to honor everyone. There are people that rub you wrong. There are people that drive badly. There are people that just are rude. And it, it is so hard to repay that with kindness. How do you do that? You revere and worship and love the living God in his triune glory. You sing, and can it be, every day, like we just did. And how do you love brothers and sisters? There are some people here that aren't always lovable. They're on the third pew, but that's just the way it goes. And, and listen, listen, how do you love them? How do you cherish them? You worship God, and it's the overflow of worshiping the triune God, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So th that's that. Number six, true freedom is living as servants of God. True freedom, servants of God. If you are here this morning and you're not sure about your faith, you're not sure about Christ, you're not sure about authority, let me tell you this. Freedom and the pursuit of the happy life unhinged from the reality of Scripture, I think, always leads to a dead end. It does. True freedom is found in being a servant of Christ. Jesus says in John 8, if you continue in my words, then you are my disciples indeed. You know the truth. The truth will set you free. I, think that, I believe that. You want to have a good life? Then find objective truth. And it's found in Jesus. It's found in his word. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, we're slaves of whatever we obey. Whatever has seized our interest, we are slaves of that. He says some people are slaves of unrighteousness. Some people are slaves of Jesus, which leads to freedom. A few years ago, there was a scandalous thing that happened in New York City. Background, there's a man named Woody Allen who's incredibly gifted, He's been through two marriages. He meets a woman named Mia Farrow, and she has several children, a couple of adopted daughters, one from Korea, one from Vietnam. And they start living together. They lived together for 12 years, never got married, just lived together. And they have a son of their own who's now a very well-known journalist, Ronan Farrow. And when the Korean adopter, daughter that's been adopted who's grown up in this home with Woody Allen from age 7 to age 18 or 19, when she was 18 or 19, Woody Allen and his wife, his living common-law wife's adopted daughter, move out and become an item. They eventually get married. She's 18, he's 56. Caused a scandal. And it still reverberates in that family in unbelievable ways. If you just Google that, you'll see some of the statements that have been made today by by their son. Woody Allen had a, had a, was interviewed and someone asked him, why did you do that? 
And Woody Allen, who's an incredibly bright and gifted guy, this is what he said. He said, the heart wants what it wants. There's no logic to these things. You meet someone and you fall in love, and that's that, close quote. I mean, I'm a seven-year-old. I grew up, she grew up in my home from seven years old to age 18, 19. The heart wants what it wants. See, listen, that logic can undergird any decision you ever make. Any, any decision, well, the, the heart just wants what it wants. These things happen. See, our responsibility and joy and privilege by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit of the living God is to bring our passions and our thoughts under the authority of Scripture. That my heart, I say, I pray, Lord, may my heart want what you want because in you is true freedom and joy in life. And that's what I need. Number seven. I want you to get this. Brothers and sisters, when, 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 when the joy of being in a land of democracy with a representative government, when that joy eclipses the reality of the gospel as being primary, it becomes a burden to our soul. Now let me explain. The weapons of our warfare are... Prayer and the Word. Well, listen to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I, I read that and I think, when I, when I believe that, as, as an American who loves my country and who reads about the political process, when I, if I believe that the right person living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or the right group in charge of the Congress or the Senate, if I believe we could just get those stars aligned, then all would go well. If I really believe that, then I have sold my birthright for a pot of porridge like Esau did in the book of Genesis. It's not about voter registration guides. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about precinct meetings. I believe in those precinct meetings. I believe in those things. It is about the reality of Christ. What I need and what my culture needs is the reality of Jesus. And if I start thinking, no, what we need is a majority in this party or that party, I, 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 I forfeited it. For example, I love to read the National Review. I've read the National Review now for 50 years. It's a magazine established by William F. Buckley. It's conservative. About 98% of the time, I agree with their, their, what they say and their worldview. But in, in all the years I've read the National Review, I have never read in that magazine that's conservative with many wonderful authors, especially David French. Okay? I've never read them say, say that they've never said this, take up the full armor of God and you pray in the Holy Spirit. And you plead for God to protect you in this country. Never. And yet if that's the only thing, I, if that's the only fountain I drink from, it'll seep into my soul. I'm telling you the weapons of our warfare are prayer and the Word. As we take the gospel to the nations. Now, I'm all for political involvement, but it's way down the totem pole compared to the gospel. If, if we had a political 
well-known person here on Tuesday night, man, this place would be packed. We have a day of prayer and fasting. No. No. It breaks my heart because I see it in me. And you're good people. Story. A guy named Thomas Aquinas who died in 1250 from Sicily. It was called the big, dumb Sicilian ox. He was big, but he was not dumb. Great teacher. Thomas Aquinas, died in 1250, is in Rome. Pope Innocent II is showing around St. Peter's and all the wealth. And backdrop, Acts chapter 3. Peter is going into the temple to worship, and there's a man that's been lame his whole life, and he says, can you give me some money? And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The guy stood up, walked. As they walked around in 1240 or whatever, with Pope Innocent II, Innocent II said, well, Brother Thomas, we can no longer say silver and gold have I none. We're very wealthy. And Thomas said, you're right, your holiness. We can't say that. But neither do we say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I, I want to see God move in our lives, in my life. I want to see him break opposition to what he's about. I want to go out and just do good. Just be kind. To give a platform to present the gospel. I didn't tell the last group this. I'll tell you this. I just thought about it as we were singing. I love a passage. It's in Acts 12. And it deals with this. You know, Psalm 20 says, some in trust in chariots and some in trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There's nothing wrong with chariots and horses. But if your ultimate trust is in chariots or horses or your 401K or this or that, but in, in Acts 12, Peter's arrested and he's in prison. He's chained between two guards. In the middle of the night, an angel appears. While this is happening, the church is pleading for Peter's release. It's a great story. So Peter's in prison, sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And it says... And the sentries were before the door and were guarding the prison. And the angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side. Wake up, Peter. <laughs> and the chains fell off. And then the angel says, dress yourself. It's kind of like paint by numbers. Dress yourself, Peter. Put on your sandals. Don't forget your sandals. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that he, what he was doing being done to him by the angel, but he thought he was seeing a vision. But then when he passed the first and second guard, and they came to the iron gate leading into the city, it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel of the Lord left him. And Peter came to himself and said, I'm free. 
And so he goes to the prayer meeting, and he knocks on the gate. And there's a servant girl that answers the gate named Rhoda. And she opens the, the door, and it's Peter. And she gets so excited, she slams the door in his face. And she goes running back to the prayer group, and she says, Peter's outside. Peter is outside. And they said, we're praying, don't bother us. They said, it must be his spirit. <laughs> Peter's in prison, chained. He's not outside. And uh, Peter starts knocking louder. Kind of like, the, you know, if you ever watch Fred Flintstone, you know, Wilma, Wilma, that type of thing. Beating on the door. And they open the door, and there's Peter. And they're amazed. And I just read that, and I think, you know, until we really get hearts that seek hard for God, we will not see chains fall off of people. I want to be a person that seeks God. And so I, I say to you, brothers and sisters, the way you silence the, 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 the misinfo intentionally misinformed language of people who are foolish in their understanding of God is just to do good, just to love people, just to go out and do good in the name of Christ. As we honor all people, love one another, worship the living God, and honor those in authority. So, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you for this uh, passage. Um, Lord, for, forgive us for expecting way too much from government. Uh, and forgive us as a church is sometimes saying, well, the government will take care of that when the Bible says very clearly we're to love widows and orphans in their distress and we're to protect those who cannot protect themselves and we're to do the right thing. And, and we just kind of shrug our shoulders, forgive me for doing that. I pray that this day we would go out and we would just do good. We would take a meal to a neighbor. We would return a grocery cart for people. We would intentionally go out of our way to say thank you to somebody that's serving us. We would just be people who do good. And as we do that, I pray you give us a platform to say, Jesus is Lord who died on the cross for the sins of all those who would come to him in faith. And, and thank you for that. So let us be people who do good, knowing that a cup of cold water offered to someone else in the name of Jesus will be pleasing to the Father in whose name we pray. Amen.